Okay, we are going to continue in the Psalms, and today we're going to combine a couple of Psalms, Psalm 8 and Psalm 19. There are innumerable reasons why each one of us should praise God, should acknowledge the majesty of His name, the glory that He possesses. We could go on, and in fact, we will go on for eternity, exclaiming the extraordinary glory of our God. The four living creatures, it says in the book of Revelation, continually, without end, proclaim, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And I'm just guessing that that does not get boring. When you are finite and you look into the infinite, it never grows dull. In the Psalms this morning, the psalmist David is acknowledging the greatness of God, the majesty of His name. And he is connecting it with creation. Because of the many attributes our God possesses, the very first one I think that most of us will come into connection with is the fact that God is the Creator. Even a little child can recognize this. Understand that all that we see, everything that surrounds us, came from a Creator. And David... And Psalm 8 writes this, Lord, and that is the name of God, Yahweh. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. The very scripture that Jeff read to us this morning that Jesus used to show the Pharisees and the Sadducees that all things would be fulfilled. Then David writes, when I consider or when I think upon or when I meditate about your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, What is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You have made them rulers over the works of your hands. You have put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and all the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, all that swim in the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, How majestic is your name in all the earth. Then in Psalm 19, David writes this, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. So as we stand at nighttime looking up into the sky and we behold the thousands upon thousands of stars that fill the Gunnison sky. We recognize that they are declaring the glory of God. They are proclaiming the work of His hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. 
No sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the earth. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. So again, David just expresses the amazing glory of creation and the very real truth that within that creation, we see the witness of a creator. The one who spoke into existence all things. Very first verse in the Bible, we've all read it, but it's even more profound perhaps, than you've realized. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, in that simple sentence is a lot of physics. In the beginning, the creation of time. Einstein's theory teaches us that time is a physical property. It can be shaped. It can be bent. In the beginning... God created, or he infused the universe with energy. The heavens, space, and the earth matter. So, in that very first verse, we see the creation of time, the infusion of energy into the universe, the creation of space and of matter. Our God is a creator. And he is an amazingly attentive creator. Listen to what Isaiah says. He says, lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all of these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each one of them by name. Now, as I mentioned, as we look into the sky at night, and we're very fortunate living where we do. The, the night sky is not blurred by artificial light so much as it is in larger cities. We can see thousands and thousands of stars filling our galaxy, the Milky Way. But did you realize that our galaxy, the Milky Way, is but one of what astronomers estimate to be 100 billion galaxies. And that's just their best estimate. There are still parts of the the sky that they have not fully mapped. A hundred billion galaxies. When you look up into the night sky, you're seeing approximately 5,000 stars. In our galaxy, the Milky Way, there are approximately 100 billion stars. Now stop and do the math there for just a second. 100 billion galaxies, estimated, filled each one with 100 billion stars. That comes out to 10 to the 22nd power stars. Suffice it to say, that's a lot. Interesting, though. Very similar number of neuron 
connections in your brain. Did you know that? That in your brain, the number of connections, neural connections, is a close match to the number of stars in the entire universe. Amazing. So God is an attentive creator. He calls forth each one of those stars by name. And in Jeremiah's prophecy, we read this. He made the earth by His power. He founded the world by His wisdom. And He stretched out the heavens by His understanding. So everything that has been created by God, He oversees. He pays close attention to. He is like a gardener working in his garden each and every day, bringing forth fruit throughout the universe. So the heavens declare the glory of God. This is what is called the uh, teleological argument for the existence of God. And that's just a fancy way of saying that when you see something that possesses design, it argues for the existence of a designer. It's the watchmaker argument. When you come upon a watch with all of its intricate workings, there is an assumption that a watchmaker created it. Likewise, in the universe, there is great design, very specific tolerances that are required in order for this universe to be maintained. I'm going to read about that in just a moment. And yet, there are people who argue against the existence of a creator. Stephen Hawking, perhaps the greatest astronomer of our day, enormously intelligent man, wrote a book called The Grand Design. And this is a quote from that book. And this is what Hawking says. Quote, Because there is a law, such as gravity, the universe can and will create itself from nothing. Spontaneous creation is the reason there is something rather than nothing. It is why the universe exists, why we exist. Now that statement is self-contradictory. Something can't create itself. And yet that is what Hawking says. He says, because there is an existence of a law, gravity, then we can assume spontaneous creation rather than a creator. Now, that very much to me brings to mind the passage in Romans chapter 1 where Paul the Apostle says of those who have uh, denied God, says, they profess to be wise but in fact they're fools. Because the psalmist writes, it is the fool who has said in his heart, there is no God. The heavens declare the glory of God. Hawking, when he studies the heavens, should be able to see that there is a designer behind the design. Even in his statement about the existence of the law of gravity, he should come to the conclusion that if there is a law, there must be a lawgiver. 
So the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. When I consider the heavens above, the earth and the sky which you have created, what is man that you think of him? Now, I want you to just be encouraged as a Christian. I want you to be encouraged that you can have great confidence in the evidence for a creator, the evidence for a designer behind the design. Whenever you come across someone like a Hawking or someone perhaps even less brilliant, but perhaps who still knows more than you do about astronomy or physics, remember that they do not possess all knowledge. I'm going to quote from a 20th century astronomer who writes, Is it not possible, indeed probable, that our present cosmological ideas on the structure and the evolution of the universe as a whole, whatever that may mean, will appear hopelessly premature and primitive to astronomers of later centuries. Less than 50 years after the birth of what we are pleased to call modern cosmology, when so few empirical facts are passably well established, when so many different oversimplified models of the universe are still competing for attention, is it, we may ask, really credible to claim or even reasonable to hope that we are presently close to a definitive solution of the cosmological problem? Now there's an astronomer, and he's not a believer, but he recognizes the limited knowledge that science possesses. Amazing as science is, science is all about the study of repeatable actions. And this astronomer recognizes that there's a lot of information yet unavailable to them. The Big Bang, not the television series, but the theory, well known to most of us. The idea that the universe was created in a huge explosion, that everything that we see physically now was at one point in time compressed into a a small pinhead location incredibly dense, exploded into what we now see as the universe. What you might not be aware, and that's sort of largely accepted as the origin's explanation now. But did you know that in recent years, even as recent as this week, there have been astronomers and cosmologists who have come up with information, studies, that have shown that, in fact, the Big Bang, as it is currently envisioned by scientists, should not have lasted beyond the first second after the explosion. A few years ago, based upon studies involving the Higgs-Bothan particle and energy fields, it was determined that when the Big Bang originally occurred as it was as the physics were understood that the energy field that the universe was set upon should have pushed it into another energy field and it would have immediately been destroyed but something kept that from happening 
and they're not quite sure what that is. Just this week on msn.com, I came across this article titled, The Universe Should Not Actually Exist, Scientists Say. The universe as we know it should not exist, scientists working at CERN, the super collider in Europe, have said. After performing the most precise experiments on antiprotons that have ever been carried out, researchers have discovered a symmetry in nature that they say just shouldn't be possible. One of the big questions about the universe is how the first matter formed after the Big Bang. Because particles and antiparticles annihilate one another when they come into contact, if there were exact equal measures of both, the universe would not exist, at least not in the form we see it today. As such, there must be an imbalance between particles and antiparticles, even if it is only by the tiniest fractions. However, this is not the case. All experiments designed to find this asymmetry have come up blank. This is also true of the latest, which were carried out at CERN by an international team of researchers. Quote, All of our observations find a complete symmetry between matter and antimatter, which is why the universe should not actually exist, author Christian Smora from Japan's Riken Institute said in a statement. The measurement of antiprotons, this is a continuation of the quote, was extremely difficult, and we had been working on it for over 10 years. The final breakthrough came with the revolutionary idea of performing the measurement with two different particles. And in this study, where the team was able to measure the magnetic force of the antiproton to a level that is 350 times more precise than ever before, they found no asymmetry between the particles and the antiparticles. The researchers will continue their research, uncertain why the universe exists. Well, I can tell them why the universe exists. It's found in the book of Colossians. In Colossians chapter 1, speaking of the creation and the creator, it says, the Son... S-O-N, Jesus Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn or the preeminent one over all creation. In Him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, both visible and invisible. Whether thrones, powers, rulers, authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and here, listen to this, and in Him, all things hold together. Why does the universe exist? Why did the protons and antiprotons not annihilate one another? Why did the universe not slip from one energy field into another and immediately be destroyed? Because Jesus Christ is the creator and he is holding all things together. The heavens declare the glory of God. Robert Jastrow, who was the founder of NASA's Goddard Institute for Space Studies and not a believer, says this, For the scientist who has lived by his faith in the power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. This is in response to some of the research that shows that the Big Bang should not 
be an explanation for the universe continuing to exist. He has scaled the mountains of ignorance and he's about to conquer the highest peak. And as he pulls himself over the final rock, he is greeted by a band of theologians who have been sitting there for centuries. Oh, it's Jesus who is holding all things together. Jesus who is making sure that the energy field does not consume us. Jesus who is making sure that the protons and the antiprotons play nice. Jesus. Beyond that, we are amazing in our situation. That is to say, our planet. Patrick, if you would... uh, you, You probably can't even see this. It's very difficult to see, but this is a photograph of the Earth taken by the Voyager as it was leaving the solar system. And in the circle there, you can see a tiny little dot. That little blue dot is the Earth. Makes you feel sort of small, doesn't it? Sort of insignificant. Just as David was feeling. What is man that you are mindful of them? human beings, that you care for them. You look at that and you you see how insignificant. And yet, the placement of the earth is extraordinarily precise. Our sun is on the outer part of the Milky Way, far enough from other stars to where the radiation from those stars does not kill us. Our sun, typical star, not that unusual, except for it does have one thing about it that is a little bit different. It does not have large pulses like most stars. Most stars have these huge pulses. And if our sun had that kind of pulse, we would be destroyed. We are precisely the right distance from the sun to allow for enough warmth for the water to flow and yet to not be so far away that we freeze. We are specifically located just as God designed us to be located. There's a lot of information I have up here, but I don't think I want to boggle your minds with it. But you should do a research on it and find out how precise are the measurements with regards to the location of the sun, the location of the earth, the existence of water on our planet, and its ability to sustain life. What is man that you are mindful of him? This is a scripture that is also referring to Jesus Christ. In the book of Hebrews, it talks about Jesus being made a little lower than the angels. Jesus being the ruler over all things. All things ultimately being placed under his feet. What is man that God is mindful of him? Here's what I want you to understand. 
man, and that's talking about male and female, man has been created in the image of God. You are the crowning achievement of his creation. All of the universe that we've been talking about, all of the glory that the heavens declare, pale in comparison to you. You are the crowning achievement of God's creation. After the, the, the seven days of creation, or the six days of creation, on the seventh day, God rested and said what he had created was very good. And on the sixth day, he had created Man, male and female, he created them in his own image. We are image bearers of God. Not that only. But that, oh, it's not up there anymore, but that little pale blue dot in all of the universe the 100 billion galaxies and the 100 billion stars per galaxy, that little dot is the theater of the eternal. This earth upon which we live is the planet that God chose to send his son. And to shed his blood We have not been redeemed, Peter said, by corruptible things, but by the incorruptible blood of God's own Son. That is how much God loves us. What is man that you are mindful of us? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whomsoever should believe on him should not perish, but should have everlasting life. That little planet is the one place in all of the universe where God shed his blood. And he did it for you and for me, that we might have fellowship with him. One day, there will be a new heavens and a new earth wherein righteousness dwells. One day, we will Reign with him, the Bible says. We will be co-regents administrating a universe that in God's infinite creative glory will constantly amaze and astound us. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Are you a worshiper here this morning? I wonder. What is worship to you? Moses, when he went up on Sinai, he saw a bush burning and yet not consumed. And he heard a voice speaking to him, saying, take your sandals off for the ground upon which you walk is holy ground. And Moses wanted to know the name of this God to whom he spoke. And the response was this. I am 
that I am. Yahweh. I am the becoming one. I am the one who is limitless. I am the one who can do all things. And Moses entered into relationship with Yahweh. David enters into relationship here too. Isn't that what happens when we know someone's name? What's the very first thing that we do when we introduce ourselves to a stranger? Hi, my name is Greg. What's yours? It brings us into relationship. And by God giving us his name, he has brought us into relationship with him. No longer do we just amaze ourselves looking at the creation but we recognize that the creator of all that we see and all that we don't see. Did you know that astronomers speculate that 75% of the mass of the universe is dark matter? Matter that cannot be seen? God created that too. And he's got his hand extended to you here this morning saying, Hi, my name's Yahweh. What's yours? I want you to be in relationship with me. I want you to understand how much I love you. That, that pale little blue dot that seems so insignificant, I sent my own son to so that you could live with me forever. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Are you a worshiper here this morning? Have you entered into a relationship with your Creator. I hope so. I pray so. And if you have, then continue to grow in that expansive reality that is God and who He is and how much He loves you. Worship is so much more than just singing a song. As much as I appreciate the ability to sing, worship is about so much more. It's about moment-to-moment acknowledgement of His presence in our lives, our need for Him, and His very greatness. This evening, when you look up into the skies, when you see those 5,000 or so stars, recognizing there's 10 to the 22nd power stars behind them, I want you to say also, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Heavenly Father, thank you for the glory that the heavens declare. Thank you for putting us on this pale blue dot that sustains our lives, that you created as a theater of the eternal, the place where the drama of good and evil would be played out, where you would obtain the victory through the resurrection from the dead. Lord, we give you the glory here this morning. And I pray for any soul hearing my voice today that has not introduced themselves to you, has not come into relationship with you. I pray, Lord, that this morning they would humble themselves and say, Jesus, you are my Lord and Savior. For the rest of us, Lord, we rejoice in the salvation that you have provided for us and in the glory that you reveal to us both in the heavens and in these bodies. 
and in the resurrection that these bodies will experience. In Jesus' name, amen.